0: In many careers, promotion to a management position is the natural career path, sometimes even the only career path. But what happens if you get there and you discover, well, you just don't like it? That's what we talk about in today's episode. I'm Jeremy Klein and this is Change Work Life. Hello and welcome to Change Work Life, the show that's all about banishing the Sunday evening blues and enjoying Mondays again. My guest this week is Tim Dickinson. Tim spent 17 years from when he left school working towards his goal of becoming a general manager in car sales. And what happened when he got there? He decided he didn't really like it. Here's Tim to explain why that was and what he did about it. Hi Tim, welcome to the show. Thank you. Can you start by introducing yourself and uh, telling us what it is that you do?
1: My name is Tim Dickinson. I'm 39 years old and I'm a heating and plumbing engineer.
0: And how long have you been doing that? Because this is a relatively recent sort of career move for you, isn't it?
1: It is. So I qualified in July and then set up the business from about September. I've gone at it full time, working with a business partner as well and going very well so far.
0: Brilliant. Now, you were introduced to me by someone that you used to work for in car sales. Was car sales sort of what you'd always done before or have you sort of moved around and got into car sales later on?
1: Pretty much. I've always done that, certainly within the motor industry. So I started off after my A-levels, I started off in the parts uh, side of the car industry. And then I went away to university for a couple of years and then came back and and basically did car sales pretty much all the way through. I've sort of moved around into the servicing side of it as well and then eventually into the management side as well and with a career probably about 20 years in total.
0: And why car sales in the first place?
1: Always liked cars and always liked talking to people. When I was about 16, I think it was, I went on a careers evening And just got chatting to someone who worked within one of the the large motor groups, and they said they gave me sort of a direction, which was kind of from the parts side. So it's a good way to get into it, and then go from there. But always like cars, and it was sort of a perfect fit, really.
0: So when you started out, I mean, some people kind of have a very clear idea where they see they're going in terms of trajectory quite a lot of people don't. Where did you sort of fit on that? Did you sort of see a path when you started out on that?
1: Yeah. So when I was in that, I sort of saw the path probably within the first year of working there that I wanted to make it to the the higher management level within a garage. They're generally called uh, like a dealer principal, or general manager. But I thought there are really are two sides to that industry. And one of them is the sales side and the other one is the service side. And to do that, you really have to have a knowledge of both sides you know, if you want to do it well. So along the way, even though I was stuck with car sales, I did go over to the service side as well, just to get an idea of how that all runs. So eventually I would end up doing that job. And it eventually happened. It took about 17 years to get there, but uh, I did get there in the end.
0: Is that the usual kind of length of time that it takes, that you need to build up that sort of experience?
1: Yeah, it can be. You don't tend to get that many young general managers. I was 36 Was I 35, 36 when I ended up doing it? And generally, they are probably that age or if not older. I think you you need to have the experience and you need to have the knowledge as well to do the job well. So someone going in at quite a young age to do that job, it it wouldn't really work. So it just maybe I could have tried to do it sooner, but then I probably wouldn't be able to do it that well because I just wouldn't have the knowledge to do it.
0: And in terms of the options for career progression in that sort of, Industry. I mean, was management kind of the only option? Otherwise, it was sticking where you were, or were there other ways that you could have progressed outside of management?
1: It depends what you wanted to do. You you could go over to work for the manufacturer itself. You could go sort of a training side as well. That a lot of people do. You don't have to work your way up. You know, you can earn a, a very comfortable living doing sales, and a lot of people have, and that's what they've always done. Generally, as time goes on, you you build up a, a client base and. And it does get easier for you, and some people are happy just doing that. But it, I just I sort of set myself a, a goal and, and really wanted to achieve that.
0: And you said that you set that goal pretty early on. It sounds like sort of within a year yeah. or so of starting out there. So what made you decide at, at that stage that that was what you wanted to go for?
1: I think I've always sort of been ambitious. I did it after my A levels. I said I did the part side and then went into sales, and I did and I worked there for about two years. But then I went away to university and did an HND in motor vehicle management and technology, knowing full well that, you know, I could come back and it would just put me in exactly the same position. But I always sort of saw further on in my career, it would put me maybe just that bit ahead of of the next person I'm going up against to to give me more opportunity, really. And that's why I did that. And in fairness, that's what happened. I, I left the job I was doing Went away and did that and then came back and went back to what I was doing. They gave me the job back and and carried on for a couple of years.
0: So that was about what, sort of four or five years in, give or take?
1: Yeah. So I would have been, so I'd done it for two years, went away for two years to university and then came back in. So four years in and then I came back and I carried on at the time I was with Rover which sort of it was starting to be about the time that the rover was declining before it went bust so that's when I decided to move to another manufacturer but carried on doing the same job just with a different manufacturer.
0: So you had another say 12 or 13 years then where you were still working towards this management position. Yeah. Well first of all how did you stay motivated because that's a heck of a long time to wait (laughs) to get to that.
1: Yeah, so a couple of years after that, I moved into as a sales controller. So so that's the next progression, really. And then after that, I did a, a stint as a service manager. So that's running the service side of it. It was a smaller dealership, so it's nothing. It wasn't a massive task to take on, but it was a good run, at, you know, first time run at that sort of role. I then moved on to be a, a sales manager. Um, And I've done that job twice, again, just with different manufacturers and different dealerships. And then I wasn't happy where I was. There was nothing available at that particular time to carry on as a sales manager. So I moved back to be a salesman and then progressed through there, through to sales controller, um, again, sales manager, and then ultimately franchise manager, just within that dealership on its own.
0: And presumably you worked with a lot of the people who held the position that ultimately you were aiming for was there ever yes, a time when yes. you saw what they were doing and thought eh, do I really want to be doing that or was it a case of no actually I want their
1: job i think at the time the motor industry changed a lot in 20 years a huge amount when i first started out and then i set this goal and so on that's what i wanted to do and and that's what i really wanted to do i think Closer to the time that I actually took the uh, took the actual job on the my predecessor, I I worked with him. Yeah, I I did look at his job and thought this is this not necessarily something I want to do. But he was moved on and the opportunity arose, so I thought, well, I'll give it a go. It was enjoyable, not all of it was enjoyable, and and ultimately that's why sort of I go, but I wanted to give it a go because that's what I doing So I did it for nearly well just shy of three years, and that was the time to change really. But I'd given it a go. I didn't want to sort of do it and think, no, this isn't for me. And then just move on, do something else. You've got to give something a go, I believe.
0: And so was it a kind of almost opportunistic thing, that the fact that your predecessor left? Or was there a kind of a process where you're, you're kind of almost groomed for that job?
1: Yeah, in certain ways there was. I was a bit of right place, right time, I suppose. But that was sort of the next step for me. So it was there. I could have carried on what I was doing or taken that role and I thought well you know this is what I want to do so let's have a go at it
0: and what was the process like the selection process when you actually went for that role I mean, did you have a lot of competition for it was it a very sort of stringent process or was it something because they knew you'd been there for such a long time that it was kind of like yeah okay Tim can do the job
1: I think they looked at around at a few that they'd always keep stuff like that sort of fairly close to their chest they were sort of there was uh someone else I worked with sort of pushing, saying, you know, why don't you do it? Why you? And I wasn't sure. I had a bit and then had a chat. And I suppose, I don't know whether I was persuaded to do it, but it seemed right at the time they wanted me to do it. So I knew that, you know, them wanted me to do it, then I would get a lot more support in doing it. So it felt right. And I knew the the brand, I knew the company very well. So I felt the right time to do it and the right place.
0: So you mentioned that you... We're in the role for about three years. Yes. Tell me about that three years and, and how it went. So I mean, was it everything you wanted to begin with? Did it kind of start not so great and get worse? Was it up and down? How did that all sort of pan out?
1: It, it was up and down. It started well at the time. So this was beginning of two thousand was it two thousand and fifteen, I think it was, first started doing it. Uh market was good. Needed to recruit some new members of the team as well. I found, I think I was quite lucky to start off with. I found two members of staff quite quickly, both very, very good and set up, had a really, really good team around us. And we're achieving, a lot of it's measured on targets. Profitability as well, that was up from the previous person. We were hitting the targets and that probably carried on for a good year, really, of doing that. Then various people The company I worked for, if they saw someone who was very good, they would try and move them to somewhere else and, and progress them as well, which was good. The only trouble is the good team that I had, You know, often they would get moved on, which would be frustrating sometimes. And then, so this is probably about 18 months in, and then so you look at recruiting other members of the team and realizing that I was probably quite lucky with the first people I'd recruited. I recruited some people that seemed very good and weren't necessarily and that that was hard work so you're sort of you're battling with them um, the customer service they were giving that I found a bit harder to be honest I still had some good people around me which was fine but the ones that weren't as so say you would move them on and you would try and recruit again and sometimes you would be lucky so other times you'd be unlucky.
0: How much autonomy did you have in the recruitment process was it all down to you, or did you have other people, kind of making decisions above your head in terms of who you're allowed to recruit?
1: It would vary. The first two, uh, and it really did. There was no pattern to it. Sometimes it would be a case of you get whoever you want. Other other times it would be a case of uh, we've got this person we want you to take them on. You don't really get a lot of choice in in the matter. But at the time, you know, you need someone, so there's there, and so you take them on. Sometimes they'll admit that they were wrong in taking that person on. Other times they'd take them on and they were really good, but then they would get moved on to another role elsewhere. So you'd sort of, I would always have a manager underneath me that did a lot of the running as well. Sometimes i got a bad one. If i got a good one and you would start settling the team down, uh, then they'd get moved on to another role, which is good for them because they're progressing their career. But it was frustrating because then you're starting all over again to then try and rebuild you know, a team with a new leader. Now, in the three years I did that, I think I had five people change underneath me.
0: This is five managers.
1: Yeah, that's it. Second, you know, sort of second in command. Some decisions of moving on, which was good. Some of them was not my decision. Uh, and that would be kind of frustrating because sometimes there'd be a bit of an overlap. You know, there wouldn't, you'd lose one manager and be a month or two months before you, were, you got someone else. So then I'm having to sort of step into that role as well, which just sort of adds to the job, really.
0: So the ones that worked out and were then moved on to other roles yeah. was that something that you were aware of was likely to happen and it was just a thing that just happened in the way you were working?
1: No, what would normally happen is someone somewhere else where would, would suddenly get moved on or disposed of and then all of a sudden there was a, there was a hole to fill and look around and it would normally be a case of we would like to move them. So you wouldn't really get a lot of notice, never want to stand in someone's way. you know. Generally, if they were good at their job, then I'd be all for them, you know, progressing their career. So I'd never want to stand in their way, a career progression. So it was good for them, but sometimes it was just a case of then it sort of, I was left behind sort of almost picking up the pieces and, and sort of starting all over again.
0: Was there ever an opportunity to discuss that with the people who were, taking the decisions to take these guys away I mean could you say to them look this is going to put me in really difficult position can you support me or did they just basically leave you to it
1: you could say it but it wouldn't have any effect unfortunately so after a couple of times there's just no point saying anything so uh no it's uh and it just almost became the norm it happened that often
0: and what was the expectation when that happened were you expected literally just to fill the role and carry on as you had been
1: yes yeah that's right just get on with it for now carry things on and then um yeah fill the role as soon as possible get someone new in the role and um, you'd probably get a month or two's grace but the, you know then it's back to it and start you know they need results so you sort of it was training someone up very quick as well to do that role making sure they fitted in in with the team as well so it was uh, Challenging.
0: Was there any allowance in the targets that were set, or was it just no? We're taking no. the person away, and you've got to fill the role and still meet your targets.
1: There's different targets set. You get manufacturers' targets within car sales. There's no allowance for that. They're set, and, and that's the way it's going to be. You have finance targets as well. Used car targets. You, you you may get a little bit of an allowance on that, but not not a huge amount, really. Um, you're just still expected to perform. That's what they want at the end of the day as a result really
0: at what stage during this three-year period you had in this position did you start to think yeah this is going wrong
1: i would say this wouldn't necessarily it was going wrong it was more i would say about two years in i think it was more a case of this is not necessarily what i want to do there are so many it's almost like spinning plates there are so many plates to spin and you do it month in month out and just after a while it's just you've sort of kind of had enough of it. You know, once you hit a target, great, you've done it. That's fine. You're moving on to the next month now. You've got to do it all over again. And it's just over and over and over again. And after a while, I kind of had enough of it, really. it's You know, it's pressure, sometimes putting yourself under pressure that didn't really need to have or, or want. So... There are so many, as I said, that like spinning plates, there are so many targets, so many levels you're supposed to be at, whether it's customer satisfaction, keeping staff happy, customers happy, hitting targets for new cars, used cars, finance. There are so many bits to to spin. You're always going to drop a plate on something, unfortunately. Hopefully it's only once.
0: Were you aware of the scale of the job when you went for it in the first place, or was it something that only really became apparent once you'd done it for a while? Or did it change during that period?
1: I think it changed. I wasn't aware of the full scale of it. I think if I'd had a lot more support, you know, say you like second in command support, uh, you know, a sort of continuous person, a good person, then that sort of takes some of it, the load off because they can concentrate on, on a certain areas and I can concentrate on other areas. So that was kind of frustrating. Also, not only that car, as I say, the motor industry has changed a lot. So you know, things like the internet and so on like that, margins are always uh, a struggle more than that, more and more. So therefore you're relying on other sources, but you've still got to hit targets because you need to hit new car targets because there's, there's often quite a lot of back-end margin, but they rely on the on hitting targets. But it's more imperative now that you hit them because you haven't got the money sort of at the, what we call the front end, you know, when you just sell the car. So uh, everything's getting squeezed. And so targets. Yeah, it's just imperative that everything gets hit really for for, for money, really.
0: And as you were coming to this realisation that this just wasn't for you, I mean, how did that make you feel? You know, I'm kind of thinking in particular, having effectively worked for 17 years to get there. Yeah, I mean, no, that's fine. What, what, what sort of emotions were going through your mind as you started to think about that?
1: Well, I suppose I could be disheartened, but at the end of the day, the way I look at it, I set a, I set myself a goal, i achieved the goal and I didn't just do it for a year or so and just say, right, I've done it, that's enough, I've gone and I gave it a good go. Yeah. And then I sort of started looking, well, what else do I want to do? You know, I've got to where I need to. So do I go somewhere else and do the same job, but that doesn't really change anything. I may as well just stay with what I'm doing. Or do I set myself a new challenge? And ultimately, that's what I did.
0: So let's talk about that. I mean, the decision to leave the car industry, and you said that that was basically because if you hadn't done that, you'd have been in pretty much the same position. Yes, yeah. I mean, did you think about? I don't know. It's kind of demoting yourself, or going, going back trying into something it as well. else, or or what, you know, going to another place.
1: Um, yeah, you always think about it, but then you have to you have to have a long, hard think about it. There are pros and cons of different jobs, and so what i doing it. Yes, there is a, a lot of pressure on targets and so on as far as the management um, is. But then as a salesman, can be a lot more hours. You have a completely irregular wage each month and so on. So I think I'd done my you know, a very, very good stint at doing car sales and I didn't really want to go back backwards really. So time to sort of set a new challenge and, and do something completely different.
0: How did you approach the decision of what to do next?
1: I've given it a lot of thought, as i said, you know, and as I've explained, my career has pretty much been within the car industry for 20 years. So in a way, that's kind of all I've known. So I've seen a lot of the times over the years, the setting up on your own and so on. The main thought would be, well, setting up, you know, in the motor industry, setting up like a car sales site or a garage, I mean. But again, as I said, the, the motor industry has changed a lot during the years, and a lot of it's down to the internet and the margins Um, that they also people are, they're squeezed from both ends, that you're paying a lot more for a car and also you can only sell it for so much. So the margins are squeezed, so the investment that would be needed and the return that you'd see from that investment is just really not there anymore. And I saw a lot of people do it over the years who were very good at their job, um, you know, working for someone and tried to set up on their own, but just couldn't make it. And generally they would leave, it would cost them a lot of money. So it wasn't really a way I wanted to go.
0: But was setting up your own thing, though, even if not cars, was that something you wanted to do? You decided that you wanted your own business.
1: That's right. I've worked for, well, for many years, as long as I can remember, you know, doing work at home in the evenings, doing work at home at the, at the weekends, working late. And I don't mind doing it. I've never been work shy. But after a while, you just think, I'm just doing this for someone else. I'd quite like to actually do it for myself if I'm going to work this hard and do the extra hours, I'd like to I'd like to see the rewards myself. So, uh, you know, that's something I really wanted to do. So yeah, ultimately working for myself was the new goal, really.
0: Did you ever consider, that, I forget what the statistics are about, you know, number of new businesses that apparently don't succeed within the first however many years. Did any yeah. of that put you off for I mean, me? Or why didn't that sort of thing put you off?
1: If I was doing it, within the motorways, like a car sale site or a garage. And yes, that would put me off. I think with uh, the industry that I've gone into, one of the reasons I've gone that route, we had a, a lot of work done on our house. It was very hard to get plumbers. It wouldn't always turn up when they said they were going to. And I just thought, Do you know what? You put a bit of customer service behind some of that. It's not hard to surely create a good name for yourself. It's never going to happen overnight. And also talking to a lot of people, One of the reasons you you don't get plumbers turn up and so on, because they've just got too much work on. So there is clearly an industry where it can take more people doing that job. It's not oversaturated.
0: So you'd identified the demand. What made you think that it was right for you? Why did you think that you'd enjoy it and it was worth making the investment to train yourself up, get qualified and ultimately start a business in plumbing?
1: I've always been very hands-on. I've always liked the sort of the almost the DIY side of it. And so I've, I've always enjoyed that. I was looking at a couple of different things to do. You know, I really wanted to learn a trade, really. Electrician was one of them. However, it's not something I really enjoy doing. When I've done plumbing and stuff, I do actually enjoy it. And that side of it. So, I, you know, if I'm going to go and do something on my own and start up something new, you've got to enjoy what you do. I think that's one of the, otherwise you just suffer from boredom and so on like that and you won't necessarily succeed. So I knew it was something I would enjoy. And like I said, I, I think there's a demand for it as well. So that's one of the reasons I did it.
0: So what sort of stuff had you done that enabled you to realise that you enjoyed it? I mean, presumably you prepared a toilet system or installed a shower. <laughs> so-
1: yeah, stuff like that. I've done uh, quite a few bathrooms, you know, in houses we've had and so on. Yeah, all of that sort of stuff that I've done. And it was just something I I quite enjoyed. And I haven't got huge experience in doing it. So it is a little bit of a gamble. But whilst I was at college, a friend of mine, he's been a plumber for about 10, 15 years. uh, So I went to sort of do work experience with him as well. Uh, I was obviously already into this, doing it, you know, training and so on. But it's something that I've enjoyed really from starting out, one, going to college and also working with him.
0: How did you pick up the skills in the first place? I'm just thinking that, I mean, frankly, for someone like me, who is really not very hands-on, just, you know, the idea of doing that stuff, I'd be terrified of just starting a flood or goodness knows what. So how did you sort of first acquire
1: the skills? I suppose a lot of it, learn things like off YouTube and so on. It's very handy. And then once you've done it, once you've done something once, you kind of get the idea, right, okay, next time I do it, did I do it right? Did I do it wrong? If I did it wrong, you just learn a little bit of trial and error. It helps having someone sort of showing you what to do. College I went to was very good teaching you. And then some of the basics, it is quite straightforward, really. I don't know whether it's just something I've understood quite quickly and and people don't. I don't necessarily think so. I think it's something that that other people did. But I think having an interest in it does help as well.
0: And talk me through the process. You said, is it college plus an apprenticeship? Is that the way it works?
1: No. So, and it's an intensive college course. So you go for block weeks. You do like a, a week of two weeks of theory. You'll you'll go back and do practical. You'll do practical tra- exams and so on. So that it, it's split up over the period of probably about, in total, because I'm doing GAS as well. It's probably about 18 months in total. So I'm not fully qualified on GAS. I am on plumbing. So it's basically just doing that. Now, some people will go and they will purely just do the college part of it. And you start to see them struggling because they don't necessarily understand some bits, but going out and doing work experience or working with someone or is a real help. Sort of, It's really putting it into into practical knowledge. It really is very good. And I was lucky enough to have a, a friend that was happy to, to work with me. So it was very good.
0: And there's got to be a lot of just having the experience so you know a college might show you something but then you see it in situ and there's something yeah. which is a bit different and you've got to look at it in a different way
1: the college course was kind of sold to me um like yep yeah, you can go on this course as soon as you've done the course you can just set up on your own and, and off you go and, and it is quite apparent that I might have a qualification and know how to do something some way, but really in when you're actually out there, everything is different. The principle of what you've been taught is there, but the way that maybe a plumber's done something before is is you've got to work it out. It's not straightforward as soon as you walk into every house. It's certainly not the same. And it came quite apparent that I couldn't just, once I'd done my course, set up on my own and, and off I go and, and start plumbing in people's houses. That's why I've gone in with uh, this friend of mine. We, we've gone in as a as a partnership, and I quite often, most days, I will go out with him. Not every day; yeah, it comes less and less. But experience really is uh, is key to it.
0: And talk me through how that partnership came about. I mean, you said it was a a friend of yours, but then this is a yeah. friend who's saying, "Okay, yeah, you've just started this. You're wet behind the ears. Come and work with me." Yes. So, I mean, yeah. what's I suppose putting it completely bluntly, what's he getting out of it?
1: <laughs> he's always, he's done it. So I used to work with him, to be honest, he's a friend because we worked in car sales together. He left car sales and went work with his dad, who was a, a plumber and a handy general handyman. He went away to college, but he did a, like a three-year day release to do it whilst working. And then his dad retired, so he was uh, doing it on his own. And, and he said to me, he said, I, I struggle to do some of the bigger jobs take on the workload when he's just working on his own. He can advertise, but then if he advertises, then all of a sudden you've got too much work on and you have to start letting people down. And that's the idea of what you want to do. And there are bigger jobs where you really have to have two people doing the job. So for him, it was sort of coming in a bit of investment as well in some tools and so on like that, which which I was prepared to do, which he wasn't in a place to do. So that's his help. that's the what's in it for him and then what's in it for me I can gain off his knowledge really
0: and the business side of things I'm guessing that a lot of people don't go into a trade to be a business person so is that something that they teach on the course is that something that you've picked up from your friend or a combination of the two is it an aspect of the job which you enjoy is it something actually with your background in management that has really helped
1: yeah, you don't get taught it at all uh, on your course. I think that side of it, my friend sometimes struggles with and so on. And I basically, yeah, it's it's the knowledge and experience that I've had from the, the 20 years in the motor industry, you know, things like marketing, things like accounts and so on like that. I've taken that knowledge and experience from that and then using it for this. And that sort of side of it generally, the business side, the accounting side, the marketing side. I kind of do that side of it, really.
0: So there's really no training on that. It is you literally, I mean, if you'd got someone who did the same college course as you age 21 or something and thought, right, I'm going to start my own business, would they literally have just had to figure all that out for themselves, make all the mistakes, not really, where do you even start?
1: Yeah, in a way, I bought a book, which was all about setting up a self-employed which was kind of handy, read that. A few of my friends have been self-employed for many years, probably 10, 15, some of them 20 years. So, and they've experienced some of it, more the accounting side of it, that side of it, and they've experienced, you know, they've learned by their mistakes and so on, and they've given me some guidance as well, which has been very useful. Also, about six months prior to me doing it, my wife set up her own business as well, so, use some of the knowledge and experience she got from that as well. You know, so sort the of guidance we kind of did that a little bit, some of that together. So, I sort of learn a bit from there as well.
0: What's her business?
1: Uh, she's a dog groomer.
0: And what's the book that you mentioned? What was it called?
1: I can't remember what it's called now. I bought it from Staples, which isn't a lot of use because uh, you won't be going there to get it anymore. I can't remember what it's called. It's long gone away, I think, up in the attic, but it was uh, I think it was like sort of starting out on self employed, and, and then and then it gave you various. Sort of scenarios, things about being a limited company, being not self employed as a partnership, guidance, what you need, things like just down to things like insurances, national insurance, if, if you are setting up a bigger business, things like employee rights and so on, like that, which we don't have to worry too much about that. Things like pensions as well, but you never know. In the future, we may have to.
0: And the professional relationship between you and your partner, is that something yes. which is quite informal at the moment or or is that something where you have put something formal in place or is that something that you intend to do
1: they do say you should write it down you know get something signed at the moment it is literally 50 50 that's how we pay We, we have a company bank account the money goes into that once the materials are covered then the money gets split 50 50 and that's on on every single job but i think over time with experience there'll be things rise things like holiday. So I'm sure we'll come up against things where we need to sort of put something a bit more formal in place.
0: Yeah, I was listening to an interview the other day, actually. It was with uh, Gary Keller. He's the author of a book called The One Thing. And he set up a real estate agency in the US, unbelievably successful. And um, he likened the relationship to a marriage. He'd been through a divorce. Mm -hmm. And he basically talked about how you should effectively have a business prenup so that you kind of set out you know, what happens if, you know, you decide to part ways or one of you wants to buy the other out or that sort of thing. Yes. So do you think that's something yeah. that you'll look to do in future?
1: I think so. I think sort of when we start to get like a if the company starts sort of getting maybe some value. Also if we ever need to enter any sort of credit agreements or anything like that, even just down to a credit card or, you know, if we need to do like high purchase agreements for vans or anything like that, then I think we will then because Otherwise, if we did sort of fall out and someone like that, well, who's liable and on like that. So I think we will, we will look at doing that as and when the, the time is right.
0: And as you went through the change, I'm guessing your immediate family knew what was going on. And I'm sure your wife was aware that you were unhappy at work and, and that sort of thing. But how yes. did other family and friends react when they found out that you were leaving a management position in car sales and starting out as a plumber?
1: Do you know what? I think I've had encouragement for everyone. I don't think anyone has ever turned around to me and said, that's a, that's a bad decision you're doing there. I think the thing that everyone always says to me, and I heard it so many times, I remember it, is everyone needs a plumber. So it kind of gave me a little bit of, uh, yes, I think I'm doing the right thing here. But no, everyone has been, they've known how long I've done it for and I fancy a change and so on like that. So no, everyone's been very encouraging. I'm ready to do it.
0: In the first sort of three or six months then that you've been doing it? Have there been any moments where you've thought, oh, okay, wasn't really expecting that or where
1: you've kind of thought,
0: mm, is this really the right thing?
1: Normally when you get a leak or anything like that, or you get wet, then you're, you're sort of thinking that. But it comes, it's part and parcel of it. It comes with it. Uh, fortunately, my business partner, he's, he's quite calm. He's, so he's got a lot of experience. He's very good at you know, sort of changing the situation. But no, not, not as yet. I'm sure there will be you know, over time, I, I you sometimes, you know, you hear horror stories of where someone's repaired something and, and it's leaked and it's damaged, you know, a, a client's home and so on like that. And you, you just deal with it sort of at the time. But I have noticed that sort of like the stress level and so on like that, it's just a complete change. There are stresses and so on, you know, you have time restraints and so on, you have to get things done. You, you can't Maybe like in the motor industry, sometimes you could just sort of like you get to the point of, of going home time and you think, well, I'll leave it there on my desk. It'll be there in the morning and I'll finish it then. You can't do that now. You know, you're in someone's home. They they need heating. They need water. You've got to get it done. And uh, that's probably one thing. But if that's just learning, I suppose. That's um, of working to a time and, and knowing when I can, can get done and finish for the day.
0: And so where do you think this is going to go? I mean, you and your partner, you've got your own company. Is that what you think work will work for you long term, having just this just the two of you, which, you know, that is absolutely right for some people? There's you know, you don't have yeah. to expand, expand, expand. Or do you have ambitions to grow the company, hire more people, become the next Pimlico plumbers or anything like that?
1: <laughs> Personally, and I think I've spoken to my business partner about this, and he's pretty much the same. I'm doing this more of a of a way of life than uh, earning the millions. Really, I think I'm I'm happy keeping it like this. If I'm honest, I'm not out there to to make millions. I just would prefer a sort of a stress free as possible, not always possible, but uh, you know everything comes to stresses. But more of a stress free career, and I think hiring, you know, growing a team of five, 10 people and so on like that, that, you know, it just increases the stress levels and so on. And yes, you, you can probably earn more from doing it, but I don't know if that's necessarily something I want.
0: And how long do you think you'll be doing this?
1: I'd love to do it for 10 years, but uh, no, I, I both myself and my wife, we've sort of set ourselves a, a 10-year plan. It's always good to set yourself sort of plans, I think, something to aim towards. We might look at doing it in 10 years and we may sell our house and so on. That The children will be pretty much grown up by then. And move some to a different area and then may set up again and and do it again just on my own uh, once I've got the experience. That's the pipe dream, but whether I do it or not, if not, I'm 40 next year, so another 20 years. Well, you've certainly got
0: plenty of time on your side. Yeah, Tim, I've really enjoyed hearing about your story. This has been absolutely fascinating. Actually, I always ask my guests: Do you have the book that you mentioned? But any other particular resources, or just something which um, you found has been helpful for you in this journey, in this transition?
1: I mean, for me, it was the training centre that I went to. I call it college, but uh, the training centre which was Access Training. Uh, they do a number of different trades and so on. It was, as I said. Sort of, I got the qualification, you know, within 18 months, I will be fully qualified. If I was 16 and starting this, it probably would have taken me a good three years. Now, I don't have three years, I've, I've still got a family to support and so on. I don't have three years of going to college five days a week or going, maybe going to an apprenticeship and, and only that. I don't have a so I just needed to get it done almost as quick as possible and get started and go out earning a living and try and get back to earning a living where I was so for me I have nothing but praise for sort of these fast learning you know it's not just this industry there's all sorts of industries where you can do sort of adult learning courses they can be quite expensive I think they used to be government supported but they're not now so they can be expensive so yeah I've got that to, to consider I've got that to earn back really mm-hmm. make sure it pays for itself but um almost there now so i probably wasn't made aware when i first signed up for it sort of quite how intense it is but you know and it's, it's very fast paced but yeah once you get used to it they are very good
0: well the very best of luck with it i can already tell from speaking to you that your business sense and experience from your previous job is probably going to stand you in brilliant stead compared with other people so i hope Hopefully. it goes well and best of luck with it
1: thank you very much thank you
0: and um Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast.
1: No worries. Thank you.
0: I'm amazed how matter of fact and calm Tim was about the fact that management hadn't worked out. Bear in mind, he'd been working towards this position for 17 years, but then after having given it a go for three years, he decided it wasn't for him. Some people might have got frustrated by this, seen it as time wasted, but I didn't get that impression from Tim at all. Tim framed it in very different terms. He'd achieved his goal, he could tick it off, it hadn't worked out, so he decided to try for a new goal. It was also interesting what he said about the fact that he was working so hard, and he didn't really mind working hard, but he was conscious that he was working hard for someone else, and really, he thought, well, if I'm working that hard, I may as well do it for me. You'll find the show notes for this episode on the website at changeworklife.com forward slash 23, that's the number two three. Also, there's a contact page at changeworklife.com contact, and I would love to hear from you. Are there any topics that you'd particularly like covered? Are there any guests that you'd like me to have on? Do you have a career change story of your own that you'd like to share? Please do get in touch. I really would love to hear from you. Next week, we'll be speaking to someone who changed career five times before finding her calling and settling on her current role. Does that sound a bit crazy? Well, you'll have to listen and judge for yourself. Cheers. Bye.